This is a time each year that we come together and we as believers celebrate the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, I, I want to plug just a couple of things, even though they've already been plugged a little bit. Our Stations of the Cross event is coming up April 1st and 2nd. Uh, we have, uh, uh, we're going to have some invitation cards to hand out, and we want you to take those cards and invite your friends. Uh, there's a little QR code on those cards. They can just take their phones and register, sign up for that. We do need people to sign up for certain times of the event uh, because we can only take about 20 people per group. And so from 7 to 8.30 each of those nights, there'll be time slots that you can sign up for. You can go on our uh, uh, CC sign up or uh, do the uh, QR code. The other event is our Easter sunrise service, uh, of course, Easter Sunday morning at 6.30. And yes, I know it's a little early for folks to get up and, and celebrate, but, you know, it, it's sort of representative of the fact that early in the morning, the women went to an empty tomb. And Wilkerson Funeral Home has been hosting this for the last few years, and we have folks from several other churches joining us, and uh, we'll have some coffee and donuts out there, and Ernest Silver is going to be singing for us, and this is just a great way to start the day <clears throat> on Easter. And now maybe some of you are thinking, well, Tim, don't we celebrate these events almost every Sunday? And I would say yes. In, in fact, well, that's true. Uh, every Sunday we celebrate and the, the sacrifice of Jesus uh, as we partake of communion. We just did that. And as a church, we constantly are reminded of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. And it's right that we do that because Jesus is the reason that we are here. So no matter what the topic is of the sermon that day, it's all about Jesus. So I thought it would be fitting for us to spend the next few weeks as we're coming up to Easter uh, to look a little more intently at the passion narrative. That's what this has been called, the, the, the passion of Jesus as it leads to the Resurrection Sunday. Now, if, if you grew up in church, you've heard the story of Jesus most of your life. Um, many uh, of some of you, or maybe some of you, didn't grow up in the church, and maybe you didn't hear as much, but either way, it's extremely important, and it's a powerful story that needs to be told and told and told and retold and told again. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sin that we ourselves could not pay. And when this happened, many of those standing around, looking at him up on that cross, believed it was the nails that held him to the cross. However, I want you to see over the next few weeks that it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his passion for humanity and his desire to do his Father's will that kept him on the cross. You see, Jesus loves people. And his instruction for those early disciples was that they should love others like he loved them. 
Jesus spent three years showing those disciples how to love other people. He revealed to them what it means to sacrifice and to be compassionate towards people. So as we think about Jesus, what was Jesus passionate about? And again, over the next few weeks, we're going to hopefully see what he was passionate about. Just like the early disciples, we're going to learn from Jesus through the word of God how to love others. How to have the same passion that he has. What was Jesus' motivation? What was his mission? What kept him engaged throughout the difficulties of his ministry? Why did he trade his life for our life? And hopefully in the process, we're, we can become more like him. And here's the big idea today. Everything Jesus did was fueled by love. The fuel that energized Jesus, the, the thing that kept him going, was his love. The Bible tells us, and we'll see this in, again in just a moment, that God so loved the entire world, and he doesn't want to condemn it, and so he sent Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for us. In other words, Jesus paid the penalty for the sins that we have committed. And God's motivation to send Jesus was fueled by love. And Jesus' ministry here on earth, all the way up to his death on the cross, was fueled by the same unconditional and all-powerful love. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for setting the example of love for us and showing through Jesus what real love really is. Help us to learn from him and to follow his example. Father, we thank you for trading his life so that we might have eternal life. Grant us the courage to be more like him, humble, obedient, and kind, so that we may have the opportunity to share the gospel with others. And may we have the same passion for people that you do. And may that passion fuel our love and our service. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we get started, I want you to uh, either open your Bibles or go to your Bible app or you can watch on the big screen behind me. And uh, we're going to look at a well-known verse, maybe the, the most well-known people's favorite verse of all time, John 3.16. You can probably almost quote it from just memory, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now again, very popular verse of scripture. And this morning, I want us to just focus on the beginning of that verse. And there are two crucial statements made by Jesus in the opening segment of that verse, both of which have really uh, striking implications for us. So let's take a look. First of all, God so loved the world. 
Now, if you were to ask any Christian how to describe God, most of them, and I think this would be true, most of them would include that description of God with the word love. Would you agree with that? How many of you, if somebody says, tell me about your God, the God you serve, you, somewhere in there you would include love. And it is clear to see all throughout the Bible that God is a God of love, a God of compassion, a God who cares. In fact, as Matthew pointed out in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, we, we learn that God is love. His very being is love. That is a very powerful statement. Now the word for love used in John 3.16 comes from the Greek word agape. And if, if, you know, anybody that's been to church for any amount of time probably could tell you what agape love really means. Uh, in the Greek language, there are four different words for love. And this one is a word that means a willful, a pure, and a sacrificial love. This is the type of love God has for people, including you and me. This love fueled God to send His Son in the very first place. And this is the love that fueled Jesus throughout His ministry. Now, we might use the word unconditional when describing what agape love is. Uh, there, there are no conditions set on this love. We don't have to be perfect for God to love us because He has this love for us. In fact, God's love required, uh, if God's love required perfection, who would receive God's love? Let me ask that again. If God's love required perfection, who would receive God's love? Nobody. I read an article from Preaching Today by David Price about a young girl who was adopted. And he wrote these words. I, I know a family who adopted an older child from an unspeakably horrific orphanage in another country. When they brought her home, one of the things they told her was that she was expected to clean her room every day. When she heard about that responsibility, she fixated on it and saw it as a way that she could earn her new family's love. In other words, she isolated the responsibility and applied it to her existing frame of thinking that was shaped by life in the orphanage. And thus, every morning when her parents came into her room, it was immaculate, and she would sit on the bed and she would say to them, my room is clean, can I stay? Do you still love me? And her parents' words, or her words, broke her parents' hearts as they heard that. And eventually the girl learned to hear her parents' words of their unconditionally uh, beloved child who would never be forsaken, uh, not as a visitor trying to earn her place in the family. And after she knew that she was an inseparable part of the family story, even correction and discipline did not cause her to question her family's love 
for her. She understood correction and discipline to be a part of what it meant to be in the family. And just think about that story. Those parents loved that girl. They loved her even if she didn't clean her room. Cleaning the room was a responsibility. But it didn't determine whether they loved her or not. Just like any of you as parents may have expectations of your children, but if your children don't meet up to all of those expectations, does it mean that you stop loving them? No, it doesn't. She had to come to understand that kind of love because she had never witnessed it or received it before. And this is the kind of love that God has for us. This is the kind of love God wants to pass on to those who believe in Him through Jesus. In John 13, 34, we read a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So we are commanded by Jesus to love one another in the same manner that He loved us. Would you say that that would be unconditionally? Let me, let me ask that a question again. Would you say that that would be unconditionally? Yes. yes. And, and this leads us into this conversation about sacrifice. The, the key to loving people well is often found in sacrifice. What am I willing to lay aside for that other person? What am I willing to give up for that other person's needs? Are we willing to sacrifice our schedule for someone who needs to talk to us for a little bit? Are we willing to sacrifice our own desires to align them with God? Now, honestly, the list of sacrificial love opportunities is pretty endless. I mean, if we're just open to God's leading, every single day, God's going to put us in a place where we will have an opportunity to love someone. You know that. However, John 3.16 tells us something else important after we first recognize God loves the world. We learn how God so loved the world. He so loved the world that He sent His Son. God sent His Son. God's act of love was that He sent His Son. And love, unconditional love, genuine love, is always going to be followed by an act of love. Now, the feeling of love, the, the, the willful love that we have, the unconditional love begins in our heart or our mind, but it flows out in an act. And my father told me a story years ago, that he remembered from his childhood growing up in Georgia. He grew up in a home, and you can imagine in those days, it didn't have indoor plumbing or heat. The house was not well insulated. In fact, it, it could get extremely cold at night. And uh, he remembered uh, how, how cold it could be, and especially in the winter and the freezing and the snow. And one night, he, he had this memory 
that he called out to his dad in the middle of the night. Daddy, this is my grandfather, he was calling. Daddy, daddy, can you get me something, to, some water? Can you get me some water? Now, in his mind, years later, he could still hear his dad get out of bed. You know, there wasn't, a, again, just thin walls he could hear. His dad gets out of bed, he could hear the steps that his dad was taking as he had to go out to the water pump to get him a glass of water. And as his dad brought that water in, he could hear those steps inching closer to his room. And my dad told me years later that him, when his dad brought him that water, that he had never felt so loved. Think about it. Getting that cup of water was my granddad's act of love for his son. And that act of kindness did not cost my grandfather any money. Yes, he did have to give up the comfort and warmth of his bed, but it was a priceless gesture for my dad. No wonder Jesus would say in Mark 9:41, Truly I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Even a cup of water can be an act of love. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he told many stories to help people understand the arguments he was trying to make, uh, to, to help them understand what God's will is. And there was a, frequently these stories, as we think of them, we, we call them parables. And there is a parable in Matthew 21 that talks about the why behind God the Father sending Jesus to the earth. And we pick up this parable in verse 33. Jesus says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. And then the tenants seized his servants, and they beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And then he sent another, other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And so they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And friends, all throughout human history, God has been sending people to deliver his message of salvation and restoration. The landowner in the parable is certainly God, and the vineyard is his people, and the landowner's servants are the prophets whom God has sent. 
But who are the farmers? Well, they're the ones who think they have it all together. <laughs> they're, the, they're the ones that believe that they're so religious, they don't even need God. They're almost perfect in their own thinking. The ones who think they are without sin. How often do we slip into a similar mindset? Because we are a part of a church and we're better than other people. Now, specifically in the context, Jesus was certainly speaking of the spiritual leaders of the Jews who would, in fact, take God's Son and condemn Him to die. But we may think, well, my sins aren't as bad as their sins. The Bible says they are all guilt, that we're all guilty, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And therefore, we needed uh, someone to save us, and that's why God sent Jesus. Because we are all imperfect. None of us can measure up to the glory of God. And so we need someone to protect us and save us from ourselves. On August the 16th, 1987, uh, Northwest Airlines Flight 225 crashed just after taking off from the Detroit airport and 155 people on board were killed. One survived, a, a little four-year-old girl from Tempe, Arizona, named Cecilia. Now, news accounts say that when the rescuers found Cecilia, they did not believe that she had been on the plane. They thought that she had been in one of the cars, that when the plane crashed, it crashed into some vehicles on the road. <clears throat> but when the passenger registration was found, uh, it, it recorded Cecilia as being on that plane with her mother. Cecilia survived because even as the plane was falling out of the sky, Cecilia's mother, Paula Chacon, unbuckled her own seatbelt. She got down her, on her knees in front of her little girl, and she wrapped her arms and her body around Cecilia, and she would not let go. Nothing could separate that child from her parents' love, neither tragedy nor disaster, neither the fall nor the flames that followed, neither height nor depth, neither life nor death. Such is the love of our Savior for us. He left heaven, lowered Himself to us, covered us with His sacrifice of His own body to save us. Jesus is the gift that God sent mankind to show just how much He loves us. And Jesus is the gift we didn't even know we needed, but learned we cannot truly live without. But we need to ask ourselves this question. Today I hope that we will all ask ourselves this question. What does this mean for me? What does it mean for us? I mean, we know God does indeed love us, regardless of where we've been or what we've done. We also know God displayed His love by sending His own Son, who does all of uh, what is needed to save us. So what does it mean for us? Well, God's desire for us is clear, that we will love Him back, and that we will love other people 
in the same way he has loved us. Now we already read in John 13, 34 that Jesus said to do this. He, he called it a new commandment. However, like many things we're told to, to do, it takes great effort, it takes commitment, it takes devotion, it takes passion. And I don't know if you have discovered this little fact or not, but not all people are easy to love. I'm going to let that sink in for just a second. Amen. Not all people are easy to love. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, Tim, it's not easy to love you, you know. Um, some of you Duke fans may feel that way, you know. I love you anyway. <laughs> there are people who can be manipulative and sometimes mean and rude to us. There are those who wish harm on us and actually do things to hurt us. In Luke 6, 27 and 28, we read, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Now, why in the world did Jesus have to say that? He's talking about people that are hard to love. And he's saying, look, I'm giving you a love that is a supernatural love. It's not normal. It only comes from the Spirit of God. The only way I can do this is if His Spirit is in me to do it. It can be easy to love friends. It can be easy to love family. But what about the person who has wronged you? What about the person who stole from you? What about the person who cheated you? It all seems to come down to how willing we are to show the same love of grace that we have received. Here's what Jesus says when asked how often we should show others grace. In Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Peter's looking for a limit, right? He's saying, now look, if they've done me wrong twice, okay, I get that. They do me wrong four times, I get that. Seven times, you know, at that point, aren't, aren't my responsibilities sort of covered? And Jesus said, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven times. Another way to say this is forgive, 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 and then when you think you, you can't do it anymore, forgive again. I mean, it doesn't make sense. It sounds backwards based on the rest of our culture, which more and more tells us to simply walk away from people who hurt us or complicate our lives. We're taught to cancel people, but Jesus taught that we should reconcile, that we should forgive, that we should love. Jesus taught us as much as it is in our power to do so, to make things right with people and to be at peace with people. And as many other things, uh, as with many other things, we learn about the, the kingdom of heaven. Again, this sounds sort of upside down. It's very difficult and for some in this room, I'm sure if, if you're thinking of a person in your life that is hard to love, you may be thinking, no, that's impossible. That can't happen. 
But God loved the entire world. Now you think about what that means. God loved the people that did him wrong. God loved the people that nailed his son to the cross. The good and the bad, the rich and the poor, everyone in between. He was impartial in his love. He was unconditional. Even Jesus, hanging on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And maybe that's the way we need to look at those folks that are hard to love, that do things that hurt us, is we need to understand maybe they don't really know what they're doing. Maybe their heart is so depraved that they think that they're doing the right thing when they're really doing the wrong thing. And as impossible as it seems, that's what we're called to do, to give unconditional, sacrificial, agape love. Loving others is tough business. So, so often our love is tied to how we feel or how our wants or needs are being met. And when our feelings change or our wants or needs are no longer being met, then our love changes as well. That's called conditional love. Y'all get that? That's the difference. And thankfully, that is not the kind of love that fueled God for us. You see, God loves even when it's unreciprocated. God loves when we're nasty and rude and mean. God loves when He's not getting anything out of the relationship. And this specific love of God is ever ready for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. I read a story about a, uh, an expression of love that really came from an unusual place. Many of you might remember back in the 1990s, there was the Bosnian War going on, pitting the Bosnian Serbs against the Muslims, making sides bitter enemies. But after the war, journalist Chris Hedges heard a story of some unusual kindness in the midst of all of this savagery. Rosa and Drago Sorak were a Bosnian-Serb couple, and they told Hedges that during the war, the Muslim police took their oldest son, Zoran, away for questioning, and they never saw him again. Think about the pain of that. Five months after Zoran's disappearance, his wife gave birth to a little girl. The mother was unable to nurse. You see, the city was being shelled and there were severe food shortages. There was just malnutrition. Infants were dying in droves. The family gave the baby tea for five days but she was beginning to fade. Rosa said the baby was dying. It was breaking our hearts. But on the fifth day, just before dawn, the Sorax heard someone stomping up to their front door. It was their Muslim neighbor, Fadil Fezek, and one of the few people in the town who owned a cow. He was wearing black rubber boots and holding a half liter of milk. Other families insulted Fadil and uh, told him to let the children of their enemies die. 
But Fadil, the man with the cow and the heavy black rubber boots, kept showing up every single day for 442 days until the Soraks were able to leave the country. The Soraks said they could never forgive those who took Zoran from them, but they also couldn't forget the kindness of their neighbor, Fadil. Drago said the milk he had was precious, all the more so because it was hard to keep animals. He gave us 221 liters. And every year at this time when it's cold and dark, and when we close our eyes, we can hear the boom of the heavy guns and the sound of Fadil on the stairs. That was the power of love. And what this illiterate farmer did would color the life of another human being who might never meet him long after he was gone. In his act lay an ocean of hope, so says Chris Hedges. Now over the next few weeks, we're going to learn more about the love that fuels Jesus it's humble, it's perfect, it's unstoppable. Not even the grave could stop the love of Christ. Not even death could hold Him back. Our challenge is to consider how we can love others like Jesus loves us. Who in your life needs to experience that kind of love? Who needs to be at that, this upcoming Easter service with you? that you could invite to come as your guest? Who needs to experience the, uh, a love free of demands, free of conditions, free of rules, unlike anything they've ever experienced before? Who needs your forgiveness this week? Who needs your sacrifice this week? So as we worship and pray, please take some time to consider these questions. And if you're like me, you'll also need to pray for the strength and courage to respond in righteousness, to simply submit to the will of God. Father, thank you for loving us, even when we haven't been lovable. I mean, we might look at others and think it's hard to love them because of what they've done to us. But that's how you've loved us. I'm so thankful that you haven't judged me or loved me in the way that I've loved others. We have sinned against you. We have rejected you. We have chosen our own path. And yet in your unconditional love for us, you sent Jesus to take our sin with him on the cross. Father, we are so grateful for your love. And yet many times we withhold our love for others. We don't forgive. We hold grudges. We become bitter. We want your love, but we withhold our love for others. Your word tells us that if we love you, we will love others. Even those who are hard to love. Even those that we might consider enemies. Even those that we might feel are persecuted us. And I ask you, Father, to forgive me for my sin of withholding that love and forgiveness. 
that, that for all of us, Father, here, I'm sure many of us here struggle with this, forgive us for withholding that kind of love and help us to focus on the love of Christ and how we might honor you in the way we love. Show us who needs uh, for us to reach out to them. Show us how we can be loving to them. Who needs that cup of cold water? Who needs that milk for their baby? Who needs that forgiveness? We love you, Lord. Help us to understand how to love others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.